Thank you, Brian, for, for those words. 22 years ago, I stood at this pulpit and delivered a message on September 16th, 2001. It was the Sunday after 9-11. That seems the same. 3,000 people, one person. It doesn't matter. It hits us like a brick wall. But we weep with those who weep and we mourn with those who mourn. And God will see us through. Last couple weeks I've been saying to Brian, if you're sick, I got a message in the well. So here it is. I had to dig deep because it was Thursday when he asked me. And my poor wife will hear a message that I preached a number of times. And Vance Havner used to say, that's a lot of love to listen to those, those jokes over and over and over again and laugh at them. <laughs> I got no jokes, but I got a message from Isaiah chapter 6, which is perhaps my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. And I get to preach it on a day like today, and it, I think it's very fitting. I almost changed it, but I kept with it. And may God speak to us through it. So let's read the chapter, then we'll pray, and then we'll jump right into it. Hear the word of the Lord. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of the people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and repent and be healed. And then I said, how long, Lord? And he answered, until cities are devastated, and without inhabitant houses or without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is filled, felled. 
the holy seed is its stump. Father, we pray that you would take these words and send them into our hearts to challenge us, to comfort us, to help us to see you anew and afresh so that we might be filled with your spirit and fit for service as we go out in this world each day. Uh, hide the words that I say behind the cross and Lord, you speak, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The eye is the gate to the soul. Someone said that. Was it Melville? Was it Shakespeare? Was it Cicero? Nobody knows. But we know that our Lord and our Savior said something similar in Matthew chapter 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And then verse 23 continues, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. You can see a lot through a person's eyes. I spent 35 years in the classroom and taught over 2,000 children, young people. And sometimes I get it right, but a lot of times, you know, you never know. Sometimes they're just tired, just plain tired. But the eye is very important. And when we look at people, we need to be able to read them. We also need to see clearly. And the manner in which we look at life determines how we will live life. What we focus on the most and what kind of lens we look through will determine our health and our salvation. Now, part of what I'm talking about is a worldview, right? What is your worldview? And through which lens do you look at life and all that is around you? It's especially helpful on a day like today. Isaiah chapter 6 gives us a model, a paradigm by which we can have a proper perspective on life. And that's the title of my message, Peering with a Proper Perspective. So let's jump right in. Chapter 6, verse 1. First line, in the year of King Uzziah's death. Now, we probably jump right over that, but it gives us a context. And so I want to think about that context. Uzziah was a good king in Israel. He served for 52 years. Only one other king served longer. Um, I don't think it was 52 good years, as you'll see, but it was a lot of good years. And let's just look at Second uh, Kings 15. You can turn to it in your Bibles, and I'm just going to read it. And then we're going to look at Second Chronicles 26, just briefly, to give a little context. And it's very interesting. When you think about the Gospels, we have four of them. Different views. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here we have different views of Uzziah. He's called Azariah in Kings. So 2 Kings 
chapter 15, verse 1, in the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, and the Lord struck the king so that he was a leopard to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house while Jotham, the king's son, was over the household, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah. Uh, there's his obituary. Not too nice. Became a leper. Now we'll see why in 2 Chronicles 26. But 2 Chronicles 26 gives us a new, a fresh glimpse and a, a, a different glimpse of this king. Beginning with verse 1, all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth, that's near the Red Sea, access to Saudi Arabia, what we know as Saudi Arabia today, so uh, able to trade. And restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years. That's a lot of years. Not too many leaders get to lead that long. And his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him and what he did was he built up Jerusalem he built up the gates around the the, the walls of the city he uh, had engineers uh, put together uh, an armory that was unbelievable he had an elite army of 307,500 that's verse 13 verse 14 moreover Uzziah prepared for all the army shields spears helmets body armor bows and sling stones and in Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Hence, his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest entered after him and with him 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priest. You have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. And God smit him with leprosy, and he lived alone, separate, and his son, Jotham, reigned with him, but Uzziah was done. He didn't finish well. My mantra in the last 10 years, because I'm getting older, I want to finish well. I want to finish well. Young people, you're young. Keep going. Keep going. Finish well. Uzziah lived a great life, was esteemed throughout the Middle East, but he didn't finish well. And so it's in this year of King Uzziah's death that Isaiah has this vision. Now, was Isaiah 
depressed? Was he grieving? I don't know. We don't know. But I would think because God mentions it that something has to do with Uzziah's death. And so God gives him this vision. And the first look that Isaiah had is upward. He says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. What a gift this is. None of us get to experience this. John did. You read it in Revelation. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. So he has this vision of the temple and God. And if you uh, read John chapter 12, and I think I'll mention it later on, but I'll mention it ahead of time. John tells us that Isaiah saw Jesus, his glory. So it seems as if uh, Christ was here. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. This is temple language, isn't it? Fitting for Isaiah who defiles the temple by being a king in the temple and trying to offer sacrifice, offer incense, whatever it was. And so this temple language is used. The train of his robe filling the temple. So this is beautiful, beautiful robe and the end of it just flowing and flowing. I remember Princess Diana and her wedding and she's passed, I know, and uh, I didn't watch it as it was happening, some people got up like four in the morning, you know, or whatever it was at that time. But I remember watching it afterwards and her train was for miles, it seemed like. And this is what the language is about. This, this robe that this king has, and this is the Lord Jesus. And then seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And we know why the seraphim are covering their face and covering their feet is because they're crying out what they see, what they experience, what they know. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I don't know that we know what holiness means, and I include myself in that. It's the separate, it's the other, and these angels are crying out, and as we see, as they do that, the thresholds, the foundations of the thresholds shake because of the language that's being used, and I don't think it's because of the language being used, I think it's because God is holy. He is the holy other, the one that no one is like. Psalm 86, 8, there is none like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods. There is none, nor are any works like thine. Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name be given glory. Our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Jeremiah 10, there is none like thee, O Lord, thou art great, and great is thy name in might. Who would not fear thee, O king of the nations? Indeed, it is thy due. And so these angels are before God, seraphim they're called, and they're just crying out, holy, holy, holy. Even Moses, who was like unto thee among the gods, O Lord, who was like the majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. In the past month or two, I've listened to a man named Peter Jones. 
Uh, he's an older man, older than I, but full of wisdom and insight. He has a book, Oneism and Twoism. And I'm like, what? But as I listened to his uh, talk, his message, he made it plain and simple. And it's part of what Brian has been talking about, part of what Doug Wilson talks about, that we believe in twoism. There's a holy other, the God of the heavens, who is separate from us, who created us. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who always was, who always is, and who is to come. And then oneism. That's what the world wants. We are God. I don't mean me. I mean the world. We are the masters of the universe. We are the controllers of our destiny. We can define ourselves any way we want. And that is the quest of humanity. And it seems as if, and I don't know, 2 Thessalonians 2 and the deluding influence is there. Maybe it's future, maybe as the post-millennialists say it's past, but it seems as if the lie, and Romans 1, 1 talks about this, the lie is oneism, and that is what was proposed in the garden, right? No, you can eat of that, and you can be like God's. And Isaiah 6 the Holy Spirit's telling us that there is another, that there is one who is above us. He transcends us, and we need to look to him in moments like this and every moment of every day. We sang it last week, I need thee every hour, and as Jared said, every minute and every second. But we need to look upward, and that's where Isaiah is directed towards now, when it says that the foundations of the thresholds tremble at the message of him who speaks, it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read this, the last few verses of it. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For of those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, and he's talking about the time of Moses. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. I hope this morning in these few minutes that I've just shared, you get a new and fresh glimpse of the God that we believe in. He is the Holy One. He is the only one. He is the Holy Other. There's none like unto him. We need to bow in reverence and awe at his majesty, his glory, and his sovereign reign over all the earth and the heavens. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, sacred be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Isaiah looks upward, but now he looks inward. Verse 5. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. He sees this glorious picture of God. He sees the angels crying out, and he realizes who he is. And each one of us every day, as we put our foot and then the other foot on the floor, need to realize who we are. Now there's the good news, and we're going to get to that, all right? It's right in this section. But we need to start with, this is the gospel. It's a gospel of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm ruined, I'm far beyond help. I live amongst the people who are far beyond help. And you have to look at the context of this. And I encourage you to read um, Isaiah 1 through 5. In fact, I reread it this week. And when I read it, it always reminds me of America. It's, it's alarming how close Israel and we are at one point. In light of God's holiness, purity, and righteousness, Isaiah declares, I cannot stand. He's singing the psalmist song, isn't he? Psalm 130, if thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But we have the other verse, verse 4. There is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. He lives amongst the people of unclean lips. I don't know about you, but as I measure my hands, my feet, and all other body parts, this is where I sin the most. Now, you may be, you know, unlike me, but uh, I'd like to eat crow 100,000 times over, and, uh, you know, that's just a struggle that I have personally, but we all have, don't we? Words are powerful. We need to be kind with them. We need to be compassionate with them, and I'm preaching to the choir, right? Because, you know, it's like, yeah, McGarvey, that's where you're weak. But Isaiah, who's a prophet of God, who speaks some words that are phenomenal, read chapter 7, and talking about the virgin who's going to give birth, and chapter 9, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and then go to chapter 53, in which you see all we like sheep have gone astray, we've gone our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to bear down upon the Messiah. So this is a guy of words and beautiful words, and yet he, he confesses, I'm a man of unclean lips. But something happens. One of the seraphim come to him with a burning coal, verse 6. And this burning coal in his hand, he had taken from the altar. Again, we have this temple imagery with tongs. I think this is metaphor here, because I wouldn't want a burning coal on my lips. I've had them on my fingers, and that's enough. But it's a metaphor of forgiveness. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Oh, this is the gospel. This is communion. This is what we did today. This is what we have to do every day. Be near the cross. 
because that's where our life is found. When I think of God and his holiness, I, I don't know how he accepts me, but he accepts me because of his son, because of a sacrifice, the most egregious death ever on the face of the earth brought about life and victory and hallelujahs. And we will spend eternity marveling over this forgiveness, marveling at the fact that you and I, even though we're dead in our transgressions and sins and, and lived a life, the life of the devil, Ephesians 2, yet God, who is rich in mercy, 2-4, even though when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with him. That's the gospel. That's what Isaiah is experiencing right here. And forgiveness is the greatest thing that you and I can experience. Got to turn my page, sorry. When I was a kid, 18 years of age, got my first car, 62 Chevy Impala, convertible. Hot stuff. Could fill it up for $5 a, uh, a tank, 30 cents a gallon, 1971. Uh, I learned how to work on a car uh, with that car. My uncle sold it to me for a buck. He just gave it to me. He was a kind soul. My dad, I don't think he ever had a wrench in his hand, so I didn't know anything about anything mechanically. So I learned how to take the radiator out and get it fixed and put it back in. And one time I was changing the oil and uh, it wasn't in the driveway because the driveway was crowded, it was out in the street. And I changed it and I got it, and, but I tipped it over and some oil spilled onto the ground. Now I grew up in the 60s and 70s and we were environmentalists. Uh, the next year, 72, was the first Earth Day, April 22nd. And I'm, you know, I'm still an environmentalist, I, I cared about. And I looked at that stain of that oil day after day after day and I felt guilty, and I didn't like it. And then one day, I don't know, it was a year or two later, they blacktopped it. <laughs> Covered it over. Gone. Yeah, I still remember it. It's 50, 60 years later almost, about 50 some. but gone. And that's the picture that we have here. Your sins are gone forgiven they're washed clean never will I remember them anymore and so as we look inward it can be humbling it can be scary we can feel guilt and shame but we have the gospel and the grace of God to give us that forgiveness and that's what Isaiah is experiencing right here and then this is the last part of my message I'll be done in five minutes half hour right yeah, about. I'll be done. Isaiah doesn't leave it there, right? He looks outward. Now God calls him in verse 8. Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord. Oh, I'd love to hear the voice of the Lord. One day we will, won't we? Hallelujah. If, if Jesus comes while we're alive, you know, in the twinkling of an eye. We shall be like him just as he is. Oh. And if not, we'll go to be with him. 
by Nathan and be singing with the angels. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Have you done that? Is that true in your life? I hope so. If not, you can today come to the Savior. He looks upward. He looks inward. But we're not left with that, are we? We need to look outward. We need to look to a world which is in the same place we were before we got redeemed, before we got rescued. It's a needy world. It's a world that's broken. It's a world that's not seeking God, and yet they will seek God. I had a friend, a colleague, and uh, about 10 years ago, uh, got to know him a little bit. He was a younger man, good teacher, better teacher than me. Uh, he's a principal now. But he was struggling and drinking, and I befriended him, and we got to know each other. And I said, you interested in a Bible study? I got bold. Sometimes you do that. He said, yeah. So we met right in the library of the high school. And we studied John and the miracles of John. And as we studied those miracles, a miracle took place in his life. He, he won a, 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 a truck. He thought it was a miracle, and it was. And he gave it away. Short story, he came to know Jesus. And that's rare. My colleagues, some of them know Jesus, but some of them fight Jesus. But this, this young man came to know Jesus and married a young lady who knew Jesus. And now he goes to East Auburn Baptist and he's living out Jesus in his life. And, and we need to look out to this world. It, it's not easy. Look at the, the call here. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? We always think of this as a missionary call, but, you know, it's 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 just as hard to go across the street and across the fence and across the lawn as it is to go overseas. That's an oversimplification, and forgive me for that, for those of you who've been overseas. But, but in some ways, it is. In fact, sometimes harder to go across the street and across the fence. But Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Now look at his ministry. He said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and repent and be healed. That'd be a fun ministry, wouldn't it? Isaiah's going to do it. He's going to do it. Uh, you think you have a hard ministry reaching this world that we live in? Yeah, it's hard. But it was hard for Isaiah. And then I said, how long? How long do I have to do this? Go to this people who's got their fingers in their ears, not going to listen to me. And God says, until cities are devastated without inhabitant and houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And if you know the book of Isaiah, you know what's coming. Assyria is going to attack uh, Israel in the north. Fortunately, not the south, but Babylon's coming. 
and Isaiah will prophesy of that. He has a hard, hard ministry, and yet he goes. We have a hard ministry going out. I got a call from our superintendent letting all uh, employees, I guess, know that Nathan was gone. And as those words were spoken by Heather, I could detect in her voice and in her words a sadness. And not only a sadness, but utter respect for Nathan. Because he had gone out and he had lived Jesus. And I could feel in her words as she spoke them the impact, not only on her, but on other employees, on children. And that's all God asks us to do. Be faithful where we are, wherever we are. That's our ministry. Holding up his name, living out who he is in our lives and trying to reach other people. May God grant us the wisdom to always look up, always trust, always honor our God, and then look in and realize who we are. Not worth much, but worth enough that Jesus would come and die for us. And from that, from that forgiveness, from that union in Christ that we have. We know who we are. We're Christians. Christ is in us. I can't fathom that. But he is. So we look out. And we try to reach people and touch them with our lives. And it's our lives. It's our personalities. It's our makeup that God uses, each one of us. And we're all weird. Everyone's normal till you get to know them, you know? We all have our quirks. My wife and I talk about our idiosyncrasies and what do we call them, dear? I forget, but yeah, those things which are weird to us. But God uses us as we are. May God give us the wisdom to have a proper perspective, to look to him, to be thankful that we are his, and to bring that beautiful message, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel to others so that they might receive him as their savior also. Father, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for each other. Thank you for the hope that we have that you transcend all things. You are above all things. And we're united to you. One day we'll be with you until then, Lord. Give us your grace and mercy each day to meet the needs of others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.